We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I circle back to this new book being released by Cascade Books, the publisher, and the author, Keegan Asinski. The title is Queering Wesley and Queering the Church. I'm going to share with you everything that's wrong with this book today. I'm also going to take you back and give you a little history lesson on John Wesley and the Methodist movement. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Yesterday I touched on this new book that's coming out soon by Keegan Osinski. The book is titled Queering Wesley and Queering the Church. It's published by Cascade Books. Now, if you Google this, as I did this morning, trying to learn more about it and read a little bit more deeply into the book, you can't even find it out there, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because the publisher is not a big-time publisher, and therefore they're not spending the money in marketing and getting stuff out in the social media and even on the internet. I don't know. Um, I do know that the author has put out her own promotion and a picture of the cover. I have it in front of me right now. So what I can read to you is basically what I shared with you yesterday, and that is the description of the book on the back of the cover. It says this, 50 years after Stonewall, the experiences of LGBTQ plus Christians are rightfully beginning to be received with interest by their churches. Queering Wesley and Queering the Church presents a prototype for thinking about Wesleyan holiness as an expansive openness to the love and grace of God in queer Christian lives, rather than the limiting and restrictive legalism that is sometimes found in Wesleyan theology and praxis. Now, I shared that part of the description with you yesterday. I didn't go into the entire description of the book, and I'm going to share it with you right now before we take a break. Let me read from the cover of the book further. This inventive project consists of queer readings of 10 John Wesley sermons. Reading these sermons from a queer perspective offers the church a fresh paradigm for theological innovation. I talked about that a little yesterday. All of these buzzwords in this description, by the way, should be causing alarms to go off in your mind and your soul right now as I read this. You know, queering the church, queering Wesley prototypes for thinking about Wesleyan holiness, openness to love and grace of God in queer Christian lives, juxtaposed to the limiting and restrictive legalism that is found in the Wesleyan theology and praxis. Okay, let me go back. I'm repeating some of what I've already read. And now it talks about new and fresh paradigms, theological innovation, while remaining in line with the tradition and legacy of Wesley that is so central and generative 
to Wesleyan churches, arguing that a coherent line of thought can be drawn from Wesley's conception of holiness to queer holy lives of LGBTQ plus Christians. And again, I've said a thousand times, anybody that hyphenates their Christianity by their temptations, by their proclivities, by their passions, habits, their inclinations to sin is not describing biblical Christianity. I go on from the book, Queering Wesley and Queering the Church playfully excuse me, playfully utilizes queer theory in a way that is fully compatible with Wesleyan teaching. It's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. This book aims to be a first step in seriously considering the theological voices of LGBTQ plus Christians in the Wesleyan tradition as a valuable asset to a vital church. Now, before we take a break, I want to read an endorsement from Thomas Ord, who was a theology professor at Northwest Nazarene University in Idaho, a very prominent theology professor there for years. He has spoken at Wesleyan churches and Nazarene churches, Wesleyan colleges, Free Methodist colleges, Free Methodist churches, Methodist colleges, Nazarene colleges and seminaries, non-denominational seminaries, Methodist seminaries, Wesleyan seminaries, Free Methodist seminaries. Thomas J. Ord is a prominent speaker, very well-known name, very well-known theologian within these circles, these theological circles. Here's what he says about this book. Few books are truly groundbreaking. This one is. Osinski gives a queer reading of John Wesley's sermons and incorporates key themes from the Wesleyan holiness tradition. By problematizing, that's his word, the narratives and assumptions of both Wesley and his followers, today this book sparks queer conversations and affirms a loving God who embraces marginalized people. These ideas invite us to see in truly new ways. Close quote, Thomas J. Ord. Hmm. Okay, let's pick this apart after the break. And I'll share with you, well, not everything that's wrong with it. We don't have time to get into all of that. But let's just deal with the basics of Methodist tradition, Methodist history, the movement of John and Charles Wesley, what they really stood for, and what the grandchildren of this movement should stand for today, if they're being true to what great-grandpa taught. Remember, if you'd like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. Don't forget my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, but it's good. You can get that on at any online bookstore that you choose for your reading material. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, in the rest of the show, I want to share with you a very brief outline of what John Wesley actually did teach. Now, again, I told you yesterday, John and Charles Wesley were 
essentially Anglican pastors, priests, in the mid-1700s. They recognized that the Church of England was losing its way. It was becoming woke. Not the language they used at the time, but essentially that would be very similar. They saw the progressive bent of the church. They saw that the church claimed to still hold to biblical teaching. It claimed to have orthodoxy, just like this book claims to be in the tradition of Wesleyan theology. Well, it's not. They're not in the tradition. They're essentially compromising all of those traditions. So what I would argue is right off the bat, on the cover of this book, they're lying. Okay, And I'm going to explain to you why. Well, John and Charles Wesley confronted the church of its day and said, well, essentially, you're you're lying. You're not practicing what you preach. You say you believe X, and then you behave in a manner inconsistent with that. So your orthodoxy is something you claim to have, but your orthopraxy, the way you practice, is not consistent with that. In other words, you're not behaving in a manner consistent with the way you're claiming to believe. I've talked about this before. Practice what you preach. Your beliefs should be consistent with your behavior. You should be an integrationist, not a segregationist. You should be integrating head and heart and fact and faith and belief and behavior. You shouldn't be separating those things that should be united. And again, you should be a person who stands for unity, of thought, mind, heart, and soul, not diversity of thought, mind, heart, and soul. Do you get it? Don't cut the baby in half, because when you do, it ends up being dead. That's the wisdom of Solomon. When you cut a living thing in half that's supposed to be united, you end up killing it. And that is true not only for the church, but it's also true for you as an individual, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. So, With that as a brief repeat of what I said yesterday, let's get into some of these claims that are being made in this book and that are being made within the broader evangelical community, specifically the Methodist, Wesleyan, Nazarene, Free Methodist, the Holiness Movement, the movement of John and Charles Wesley, the Methodist Movement, the Methods of Holy Living. Again, Methods, the Methodical, Obedient Walk of Christ. That's what the Wesley brothers preached. Now, how far have we fallen? Well, let's find out. It, the question keeps coming up repeatedly within Christian colleges and within books like this, those people that align with the Wesleyan tradition. Well, how, they should, they, how should they respond to this transgender, LGBTQ, gay marriage uh, agenda, the broader LGBTQ plus agenda, and whatever other letters they want to add to it tomorrow? And more directly, the question is, how do pastors, Christian college leaders, faculty board members, et cetera, et cetera, parishioners, how do we respond to this? Well, a lot of leaders, such as this Keegan Osinski, are arguing that John Wesley's call to love, love requires the Christian community to be more inclusive and conversational rather than exclusive and confrontational. And that's, that's what they're arguing for. 
we need to be inclusive. That's what love is. We need to be conversational. That's what love is. This legalism and this confrontational spirit of black and white theology and ontology and epistemology. That's not the message of John Wesley. That's not the message of Christ. Well, hogwash, baloney. These are false dichotomies. Again, I'm going to repeat, the Lord disciplines those he loves. You don't get an I tolerate you card from God. Okay, he doesn't send you an I tolerate you card. He doesn't tolerate your sin. He demands your confession. He demands your repentance. Okay? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's nothing in there that says he's affirming our sin, that he wants to have a conversation of our sin, that he wants to be inclusive of our sin, that he wants to enable it or that he'll tolerate it. Zero is ever said in Scripture about any of that. Every time you see Jesus talking to a sinner, he says, go and sin no more, period, end of story. And there's no reference in scripture of us being told to hyphenate our Christianity by our sins. So I'm going to go through a few key points here very quickly. Yes, Wesleyans are to elevate love as evidence of God's grace in our lives. I agree. Loving God and loving our neighbor, however, demands that we hate sin. Okay, that's biblical, that's Wesleyan. Sin is anathema to love, and love is anathema to sin. Wesley teaches over and over again that the walk of holiness, the obedient, methodical path of sanctification, is one that condemns sin at every turn. There's no place in Wesley's teaching to have a conversation about sin. The message of holiness demands that we confess it that we confess it one more time, that we confess it, not sit around and discuss it. That's the first air of the premise of this book. Number two, Wesley never watered down scriptural authority and certainly never questioned the Bible's clear definition of right and wrong and good and evil. In fact, Wesley said this, this is his quote, I'm not paraphrasing, Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Close quote. So again, I repeat, that is not a statement of watering down scriptural authority, is it? And he's certainly not questioning the Bible's clear definition of right and wrong and good and evil. Give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. Number three, Wesley was very clear about what he called singularity, i.e. the exclusive and non-negotiables of the gospel. Wesley was very clear about this. He was not a syncretist. He did not meld together various different theological traditions into um, a great big kumbaya group hug. He did not do that. He did not believe that all paths lead to the same summit. He would have condemned the engagement in homosexual or trans behavior because he would have said that that is anathema to the Imago Dei, the image of God, and it's also anathema to that one book, that book of God, that book that he pleaded for 
when he said, oh, give me that book at any price. So he made it very clear that Christianity is a religion of singularity, the exclusive, non-negotiables of Christ's gospel. In fact, he made it so clear that he said singularity was the difference between heaven and hell. Here's a quote again from Wesley. Not a paraphrase, a quote. You must be singular or be damned. The way to hell has nothing singular in it. The way to heaven has singularity all over it. You must be singular or be damned. Now my paraphrase, the Piper paraphrase, if you're not singularly focused on the singular message of Christ's gospel and biblical truth, you will be damned to suffer the consequences of your sin here on earth, and you will be damned to suffer the consequences of those sins in eternity. You must be singular or be damned. Number four, Wesley did say this, in the essentials unity in all else charity. Okay, that's a phrase that the progressives, the liberals use all the time. Well, we should just recognize that the essentials are very, very few, and we should be very charitable, loving in everything else. That's what Wesley said. He did say in the essentials unity in all else charity, but in doing so, Wesley was clear. He was clear. He clearly made the essentials the priority in that formula, in the essentials, the essentials. Well, what are they? In the essentials, be unified. You can't diverge from the essentials is what Wesley said. In calling for charity, he never intended to diminish the first things. The mandate to be unified around the authority of the word was central. It was a first thing to John Wesley. Again, give me that book, that one book. Let me be a man of one book. That was a first thing, and we had to be unified around the authority of that one book, of that revelation, the book of God, Scripture, the Bible. In fact, Wesley repeatedly preached that anyone who denied the essentials was guilty of compromising the unity of the church and was therefore guilty of being, quote, almost Christian. Well, that's not a good thing. If you're almost Christian, then you're not Christian. Wesley was making that point. You would be among those people that Christ would say to at the end of days, Matthew 7, when they look at him and say, well, I preached in your name and I taught in your name and I was a theology professor in your name and I wrote books about queering the church in your name, Jesus. And Jesus looks at those people and says, get away from me. I never knew you. Almost Christians. Number five. The entire Wesleyan movement, Methodist movement, was one where Wesley challenged the Church of England's acceptance of sin. That's the point. He was essentially saying you have your orthodoxy, but you don't have your orthopraxy. Your practice isn't consistent with your preaching. You're not practicing what you preach. That's essentially the message of Wesley and Methodism. Historically, Wesley was condemning the hypocrisy of separating belief from behavior. He was calling for obedience, methodical, habitual, disciplined, holiness. He confronted sin. He didn't have a conversation about it. 
He'd be appalled to learn that we're now debating the acceptability of the act of sodomy within the body of Christ. I'm, I'm sorry to be so clear and brash, but that's what we're talking about. Wesley would quickly cite the words of St. Paul if he were here today. If Wesley were here today, he would quote St. Paul, who said this, It is shameful even to talk about what the evil do in secret. One more time. It's shameful even to talk about what the evil do in secret. Ephesians 5.12. Wesley would be the first to say that our sinful inclinations do not and should not define us. Wesley would condemn the dumbing down of the human being to nothing but the sum total of what we're inclined to do, sexually or otherwise. Wesley would say this, our identity is found in Christ, not our proclivities, not our passions. Holiness, holiness, by definition, means that we rise above these inclinations in obedience to God rather than capitulating to our base appetites and instincts. That's what holiness means. Wesley would shout from the pulpit, You're the Omago day, my land, not the Omago dog. Now, by God's grace, go act like it. Do you get my point? Wesley would be the first to say, You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come that you're transformed, you're not transgendered, that you're born again, you're not born that way. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. You've been changed. Oh, you may, you, you may not be perfect. In fact, you're far from it. But you've got a progressive walk of sanctification, being set apart for holiness unto the Lord. That's the message of John Wesley. Again, he would be shouting right now in the face of this nonsense, this heresy. He'd be shouting, you're the Imago Dei. You're made in the image of God. You're not the Imago Dog. You're not defined by your appetites like an animal is. Be born again, and by God's grace, go act like it. If we're going to succeed as a church, and I use that in, with you know the broader church, the Orthodox Church, used to be the Evangelical Church, maybe it's the Remnant Church. If we're going to succeed as the church that Jesus promises will not be defeated, the one that he says the gates of hell will not prevail against, against I would argue we need to run into the storm and not away from it. We need to have courage and stand firm. We must wave the banner of the truth of Christ and the truth of Scripture and do so with the confidence that if we win, great. That's God's grace. But if we lose, it doesn't matter because the battle is the Lord's and we will go down fighting. Where are those courageous leaders that are willing to say that? Where are those pastors, those college presidents, those theology professors that are willing to say to this author, Keegan Osinski, this is wrong. This is heresy. Thomas Ord, I don't care what your credentials are and how long you taught theology at a Nazarene university and how many Christian colleges you've spoken to 
and seminaries you've been featured as a guest lecturer. I don't care how many books you've authored. If you really are going to talk about sparking queer conversations that affirm a loving God who embraces marginalized people, well, yes, God does embrace marginalized people, but God doesn't embrace people who want to celebrate their sin. He condemns that. He says, get away from me. I never knew you. My land, is that legalism? No. That's biblical truth. That's orthodoxy. That's the church's message. And if we don't believe that people can be redeemed, then what do we have to offer? What do we have to offer the world if we're just going to concede that everybody's born that way and it should be celebrated. (sighs) This kind of stuff, this kind of stuff dumbs down the gospel. It's selling our soul for the sake of approval. It dishonors our mission. It dishonors our message. It dishonors the very reason for us to exist. It dishonors our founders like John Wesley who gave us their treasure, and their trust. It dishonors our students, our parishioners. It dishonors our God. And if we become nothing but pale copies of a secular culture, then why in the world would anyone want to buy what we're selling? Anything short of a unified stand for the essentials, back to John Wesley's language, the essentials of our faith for orthodoxy, for biblical authority, for the inerrancy and the infallibility of the word, that one book, give me that book, one book, I am a man of one book. Anything less than this will doom the Christian church to the ash heap. That church, not not Christ's church, but that church, that denomination to the ash heap of history. The Wesleyan Church, the Nazarene Church, the Methodist Church, put whatever label you want on it. If they're going to buy this nonsense, and if you're going to hear this from their headquarters leaders that love wins, LGBTQ, whatever, queering the church, queering Wesley, if you're going to hear this type of talk coming out of your church preachers and teachers, and pastors, and college presidents, and theologians, then I would argue that our culture laughs at your irrelevancy. Because you're no different than them. You're supposed to preserve culture, not take part in its rot. You're supposed to shine a light on evil, not have a conversation about it. You're supposed to confront sin, not capitulate to it. May God help us if we've really come to the point where Any church, any Christian actually thinks that our salvation comes from negotiating a compromise with a world that hates our Lord and hates our gospel. No, that's not what we're called to do. There is no middle way with Christ. He's the only way. And that was the message of John Wesley, not this garbage that's coming out of Thomas J. Ord, the Nazarene Church, LGBTQ Love Wins, or Megan Asinski. No, this is a lie. Christ is the only way. There is no middle way. You must be singular or be damned. The way 
to hell has nothing singular in it. The way to heaven has singularity written all over it. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.